I'm going to just say about that family fun night, um, I've got a rehearsal in the sanctuary that'll go from 7 to 8, but after that, I'm going to be looking for a game of Ticket to Ride downstairs. Um, And I I just want to give you one little preview about the family meeting. We are going to be renovating the sanctuary in June, um, and we have pictures today we're going to show in the family meeting of what it's going to look you don't want to miss the family meeting guys uh child care will run that 20 minutes so you don't have to worry about uh picking up your kids you can you can stay if this is your church home whether you're a member or not i i really want to encourage you to to uh stay for that all right, let your kingdom come. We are week two. This is also the beginning of a five-week series from the Sermon on the Mount of the Beatitudes called Life in the Kingdom. Could we stand in honor of God's word and we will pray and get right into this year. Life in the Kingdom, week one, dependence. Matthew chapter five, one through three. Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel and what it brings to us. Lord, I pray that you would break in, God. That you would break in, that you would put ISAV on our hearts, that we would be able to grab a hold of the life you purchased for us to walk in, in the kingdom of God. Lord, we're gonna give you praise for every good thing that happens here today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So life in the kingdom, dependence. Point one is the poor in spirit. It's very interesting in the Greek. There are two words that we translate poor. One of those words is poor describing a a laborer who is, is working for a subsistence wage. It means poor as in no extra, just getting by. There's a second word that that means poor as in a beggar, as in having nothing. One one word poor means no extra, and one means having nothing at all, okay? So the word that's translated poor here is that second word. It's it's not poor as in no extra. It's poor as in absolutely, spiritually bankrupt apart from the grace of God. Absolutely nothing spiritually. This can be very confusing because we can still live physically, we can still live socially, but sometimes it's hard to see that apart from God's grace, we have nothing spiritually. That we're, we're kind of an, a, a shell surviving, but the deepest 
part of us requires the grace of God. It requires this dependence, this absolute dependence on God. So we went, uh, we did two weeks in Mexico. One week was missions. One week was uh, vacation. And I know that everybody expects when I come back from a vacation that there is some story about me in the hot tub. Uh, we, we, we all know I, lo- I, lo- I love to sit in the hot tub. I love to have coffee in the hot tub and do prayer in the hot tub. And, and it's just, a, it, I, I'm just kind of a type A type person. So it, it relaxes me to be in the hot tub. And oftentimes people will just plop in there and I'm not going anywhere. And it's easy. It's just easy to chat. And so um, we were, a few of us were in the hot tub and, Sure enough, an older couple gets in there. They're probably in their 70s, and his name is Luke, and her name is Joanna, and, and we start chatting, and, 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 and pretty soon it's, it, it, it's about faith, and it's about church, and, and Joanna just stops it right there. She, she's like, uh, she's like, listen, we... We've had people talk to us about faith before, and the truth is they don't want to talk. They just want to tell what, what they want to say. They don't, they don't want to listen to us. They just want to talk. And, and I, said, I said, hey, I, I am here to have a dialogue. And I said, but if, if you don't want to talk about it, if you don't want to talk about this subject, that's no, no problem with me. She's like, well... I guess it'll be all right. She says, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. She said, figures. But Luke wanted to talk. He, he was happy to say where he was. And he, he explained to us that he was a a self-made man, never needed anyone, did everything on his own, and that he, he called himself an agnostic, that he, he, he wasn't sure whether there, a God existed or not, and um, and I said, you know, and, and here we are, my oh my, we're in this hot tub that is overlooking the ocean. The beauty of God is all around. The clouds, the everything, the, the flower, everything is absolutely gorgeous. And here's this man talking about how he's lived independent, of, of, doesn't need anybody, doesn't need God, doesn't, doesn't even know if there is a God. And, and I'm like, look... And if, and if it wasn't, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. I'm like, bro, in him we live and move and have our very being. If he took your breath away for six minutes, you'd be dead. Every breath you're breathing has been lent to you by God. How, how do people get the idea 
that somehow they're doing this apart from God. That, that this is what it means to not own poverty of spirit, to not own that we are dependent and that somehow we are independent. And here we are. And it, you know, it says in Psalm 2 that God sits in his heaven and he laughs. You know, have you ever been in an airplane and looked down to see how big people are? <laughs> you know, you can, you, buildings are small, and then cars are even smaller. People are, you just, is that, you know, you see little, move, it's like ants moving around. And here's, here's God in his heavens, and a little puny ant is saying, I've done this all myself. <laughs> where, where, where does this, where does all of this come from? Well, There were two trees in the midst of the garden. One was the tree of life, where God would share his own life. This was his great purpose, that he would share his own life with human beings, that we would live out of, in and out of relationship with him. And there was another tree in that middle of the garden. Um, Today, I'm calling it the tree of independence. Where, where we, we decide and we decide what's right and wrong and we, we're the judge of what is good and what is evil and, and, uh, and so, of course, they ate of the wrong tree and this is, so this is very much in mankind, this, this independence of God, this independence and, and even fighting the idea of dependence and, well, it turned out as we chatted more, more came out that this was Luke's second marriage that he had had a few years ago, this horrible divorce. And at that time, he talked to his brother, who's a Christian, and um, goes to a Baptist church. And then he, he came to a, another church. He said, that church spoke in tongues. I'm like, really? That's weird. I didn't say that. I said, hey, I go to one of those churches. Anyway, um, <laughs> and, uh, and he had in that time of brokenness, and there is something about our times of brokenness, our times when our, we can't make our own life work, that, that we do reach out. And there is something about the temptation when things get better to go right back to our independence, right back to I don't need anybody. And, and I said, Luke... I said, what, what if, bro, what, what if there is a God? What if the goal down here is not to just be as comfortable as we can be in our survival? What if you were made for a relationship with the living God and that the greatest meaning in living is to live in and out of that relationship where you're seeking to please him? And he got quiet. And I said, bro, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. Would you mind if we just prayed for you? He said, pray for me. And we had a chance to to pray for, for Luke in that hot tub. The poor in spirit. Point two, dependence on God's grace is the mark of God's people. 
in the Old Testament, the, what set the people of Israel apart was the Sabbath day. We, when we read Genesis 1, we think this is about creation. But it, for, the, for the Israelites, it wasn't really about creation, even though that's in there. It was about the Sabbath day. This is God giving, God had just given Moses the Sabbath day. And, and he's explaining the order of things. And on the seventh day, it says, God rested from his works. And then it says this, he blessed and sanctified the seventh day. It's the only day that has his blessing. He is set apart this day. That means sanctified means to set apart. He's set apart this day and he placed his blessing on it. And it, he goes on to say in the law that this is the mark. This is the sign that you're my people, that, that everybody else is living this way. But every time they see you do the Sabbath, they are remembering something. And, and so let me read to you Deuteronomy 5, 14 through 15. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And then verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that your, the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day, once a week, was the day the word Sabbath means to desist. They stopped from their own work. They desist their own effort, their own stuff. They, they, they had to rest on that day. And then part of their rest was they were to take that time resting and they were to remember. They were to remember that they had been slaves and that they had been rescued by a mighty hand that God, through his mighty hand, had rescued them. It was on the Sabbath day that they found a new identity. They were no longer slaves that were only good for performance. They were only good. They worked all the time in Egypt. They were slaves. Every single day was a work day. And they were only as valuable as their performance. But now they had a new identity. They were now, they were no longer slaves. They were the rescued. That God, by his own mighty hand, had delivered them from slavery and brought them out. They were now the Lord's people. They were, they were his. Their identity was not performance. Their identity was now in God and what God had done for his people. So then we, we come over to the new covenant and we, and we find something out about, about the Sabbath day. It's funny because there's, there's 10 commandments and nine of them are moral laws and they're, they're still good today. They are forever. We'll talk about that when we talk about righteousness. They are the moral God of the moral conduct, the moral uh, imprint of God. And in the Old Testament, they were on stone and in the New Covenant, he writes them right on our heart. But there's one ceremonial law in the Ten Commandments. And that's the Sabbath day. And in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Paul says, don't let anybody judge you about, about the days or Sabbaths 
because all of these were part of, they were all shadows. They were all shadows that were, were fulfilled in Christ. Today, we rest not in a day, but in a person. We cease when we come to Christ. We cease from our own works, our own efforts, and we enter into his life. That, that he came to give us life and life overflowing. That, that word life there is Z-O-E. It is, it is the life of God. The father has Zoe in himself and the son also has Zoe in himself. And he came that we might have the very, the very life of God. That we would eat of that tree of life that Adam and Eve did not eat of. That the new tree of life is the cross. And that through the cross, God wants to impart his very life to us. Our identity is no longer what we do or what we did. It is that we are the rescued ones. And that our life now is in God. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, 9 and 10. This is a very important text. There remains then a Sabbath of rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So there is a place in God. Just as God let us there for... Okay, look at this. Isn't this... This is an oxymoron. Make every effort to enter that rest. The, the, the NAS says, be diligent to enter that rest. Work to rest. This is the great work of Christianity. This is the great work. There is in the spirit. Judy gave this prophetic word this morning about the river of God. God has created a place in the spirit that we are to live out of. We don't live for rest. We live from rest. We start, you start Christianity resting. It is by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone boast. In our own works, in our own righteousness, in our own effort, we are, we're going we're gonna to die if that's where our trust is. Just like that was the, the result of working on the Sabbath, death. That we must rest. We must relinquish all right to add any work to the finished work of Jesus Christ. But that's not just how Christianity starts. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. The great work of Christianity is to enter that rest, to live in that rest. John chapter, and I'm sorry to my slide people, I've changed things around a little. John chapter 7 um, verses 37 through 39. Jesus says, whoever believes in me and is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit. So th this, is bringing us, this is bringing us to point three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. Not, not just the kingdom that's coming, which is heaven, which is the full rule of Christ. Thank God, part of being in the kingdom is that promise of the future kingdom coming in its entirety. But the kingdom of God is, is ours right now. Pastor Tom, in what way? Romans 14, 17, look at this. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not about food and drink. And it, it, there were Jews in the Roman church that were sure that it was still about the law. It was still about the ceremonies. still about don't drink that, don't eat that. Don't. Paul says, listen, no, no, Jesus has come. This isn't about food and drink and days anymore. The kingdom of God's here right now. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. But I want to I focus on in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the river that God puts in us right now. To live in the kingdom means I need to live in the spirit. I need to jump in this river. All of the life of the kingdom of God comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' representative right now. He's the one on earth. Jesus said he's going to speak to you whatever he hears me tell him. Jesus is running this thing. But the Holy Spirit's his representative. He, he's the power. He's the grace. He's, the, he's that river. And we need to live in that river. Here's the problem. Boy, we got a war game going down here. Here's the problem. The natural habitat for our carnal nature is independence, pride, control. It is what comes natural to the old man. It is the breath of the old man. And so what happens is when we, when we become a Christian, we, we become a Christian and we, we, we get a little taste of the river of God. Now what also happens is we get all of this equipment to live in the kingdom. And we're supposed to live in this river. So now, now we're, like a, we're like a fish. We've got all the equipment and that life of the kingdom will thrive if we live in the spirit. So we got two natures. And so we're in, the, we're in the river and we find out we can breathe underwater and we, we find out there's a whole nother life down here. But, but we've got this old nature too and it's easy to, to, to throw ourselves out of the water. And so a lot of fish, a lot of us are like that fish out of water. Have you ever seen a fish out of water flopping around? And so, you know what you say? Somebody have mercy and throw that poor thing back. That thing, that thing is dying out there. But it's amazing. I did a little research. It's amazing how long fish can live out of water. A goldfish can live one to two hours out of water. Do you know that there are some fish that can live up to 13 hours out of water? But here's, here's what I want us to grab a hold of. You can't thrive out of water when you're a fish. It's not healthy. It's not good for you. So the great work of a Christian is to get in the water. 
to, to get in there, to, to get in the flow. This is where the, the nature of God, the whole Beatitudes are not something that you're striving for and we're supposed to be like this. No, we are this. We are this in the spirit. We own our poverty of spirit and the kingdom of God becomes ours right now. We're in the Holy Spirit. And when we live in righteousness, peace, and joy, we, we find the spirit flowing. We find this is our natural flourishing life. A lot of times what happens is we live as Christians on the bank of the river. And we've got all kinds of theology about the river, maybe even stories about when we were in the river. And then maybe on Sunday we'd pop in again. Whoo, this is nice. I feel it. I'm feeling it, and Sunday afternoon, I'm still feeling I'm just a great Christian Sunday afternoon. <laughs> but, but the natural life is, we're so used to the natural life, the habitat for that old man, that cynicism and doubt and, and control get back in, and we, whoop, we pop back out. A lot of times, the way we get back out is the devil puts bait out. <laughs> How many know that the devil knows our buttons? <laughs> you know, and he just pushes a thought, he pushes a wound, and... And we bite with our thoughts, and boop, we're back out of the river. Still, still believe in the river, still have a theology about the river, um, but we don't live out of the river. And you, you, as a Christian, you can't win out of the river. You can't live a victorious life. So let's talk about living in the river. Matthew 10, 39, we read this last week. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Right here is the key to walking in the river. You have to lose your life for Jesus so that you can find your life in Jesus. We have to get to the end of our life, our self-protection, our control, our, our grasping, our trying. We, we come to the end of that life for Jesus. He is worthy of this. He gave his life for me. I give my life for him. I lay my life down for him. I lay down my effort to be righteous. I lay down my control. I lay, lay down my own pursuit of happiness. And in return, I find a new life. This life in the spirit in Jesus. And, and instead of, sometimes we just accept that. And God's calling us to enjoy it. He's calling us not to just accept our dependence, but to enjoy it, to, to make it our natural habitat, to, to learn how to live in the spirit, to live out of the spirit, to live in the river of God, and, and not just dunk in it once in a while. Whoo, that felt good. But to live in it Monday through Friday. See, this seems like a very theological up here message. This is a very practical message about how to live every single day. So let me break it down for you a little. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So let's do righteousness first. So to lose our life for Jesus... We have to lose our own righteousness. We have to give up our own self-righteousness, our own ability to make ourselves righteous. Proverbs 16, 2 says that all the ways of a man are clean, 
in his own sight. But the Lord weighs the motives behind it. The motives that are often hidden from us. The Bible says that in Jeremiah 9, it's not a very uh, encouraging word about humanity, but it says that the heart is above all things deceitful. <laughs> we, we, we can lie to ourselves. We can rework the facts and believe that we are righteous. We are a good person. And what we're using to, to define ourselves as good is we, do, we compare ourselves to others and we don't think we're as bad as somebody else. And, but God doesn't even look that way. The Bible says that even our righteous acts are filthy in his sight. It says, blessed are those, this is the second beatitude, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we own our sinfulness, when we own that we've been self-righteous, when we own that, that we can clean up the outside, but we can't clean up the inside, when we own it and we are willing to confess it and mourn over our sins before God, something amazing happens in the kingdom. We receive forgiveness from heaven. We receive real comfort that we are forgiven, that we are accepted. This is what Jesus died for, so that we could be comforted that sin has been removed and forgiven. Without that, you don't get comfort. Those who refuse to mourn over sin, refuse to own that they're even a sinner, that I'm a good person, I'm going to maintain that until I die, I'll go with my own righteousness because I'm a self-made good person, I do what's right. All you're going to get is the comfort of self-justification. You'll not get anything from heaven. You'll get no real comfort from heaven. It's, it's all you telling yourself that you're okay. It's deception, guys. So this last week, one of my heroes died, Billy Graham. I spent Friday looking at YouTubes of his life. I, I read this morning from a biography on him, and this, this man was so beautifully used of God. In this nation, some of the crusades he had from the three weeks in 1957 in Madison Square Garden where revival every single night to some of the massive crusades he had in every part of this country, massive crusades, and then on TV and in, and in books. And um, I was reading this morning in 1972, he was supposed to go to the Nagaland in India, right near Calcutta. And it was all set up for him to go. And he had a representative from there that was going to go with him. And war, war broke out. And the, the government took away the ceasefire. And it became very, very dangerous. And so he, with his team, decided to, to cancel the crusade. It was, just, it was simply too dangerous to go into harm's way. And that next morning, the representative from Nagaland came and said, Mr. Graham... If you don't go, you're going to set evangelism back 10 years in India. They have built roads for this crusade. They, they, have, they have given their life's wealth for you to come. Please, please reconsider. He had right, he couldn't sleep all night. 
this was the answer he wanted. And so he told his team, you don't have to go, but I'm going. And he goes to Nagaland and they have, they have built this road and there are tens of thousands of people lining the road as he is heading towards the, the crusade grounds. There are 100,000 people packed in this football field. He, start, he, speaks, he speaks one line and then there's just chaos because there are 19 different interpreters speaking at the same time. He gives a line and there's 19 interpreters over because they're all they're, they're, it goes all the way back as far as you can see. And they had a tent that they brought all of the people that needed a miracle from God. Of course, Billy Graham, that wasn't his big ministry. His, his thing was not healing and deliverance. He, he just simple gospel, come to Jesus. But they had this tent where they had all these people that unless God did a miracle, they weren't going to make it. And so he, he let them know. He said, I'm now going to pray for you. He said, I, I cannot promise you anything other than the will of God, but I will pray for you. And in this book, this biography I was reading, he started recounting. He never, Billy Graham never touched any of them. He just prayed a prayer. But Jesus started touching people. And a kid was completely healed of epilepsy from that day forward and somebody from tuberculosis and story after story of miracles that just happened in that tent where they had brought all these people and their, their whole life was changed from then on. And I'm just reading this this morning. I'm just, just crying. He went to South Africa in the middle of apartheid and the, the apartheid government allowed him to come and allowed him to have black and white together in his meeting, filling stadiums. He went to South Korea, one meeting, 1.1 million people in one meeting. Stunning. Part of the amazing thing about Billy Graham is he transcended politics. He was owned by everybody. He's owned by all the Republican presidents and all the Democratic presidents. They all loved him. They all wanted his prayer. They all wanted him on the platform. He led some of those presidents to Christ. Stunning. The favor on Billy Graham, stunning. He goes in to the Soviet Union in 1984. It, Reagan has just declared they're part of the evil empire. And the Soviet government opens up the largest 50 churches and says, go say whatever you want to. We trust you. He walked with such honor towards whatever your faith was, whatever your belief was, whatever your government was, he honored you. And it opened up favor. When the Soviet Union opened up in 1993, he was invited back to Russia and the old Lenin Stadium that was now called the Olympic Arena was jammed out over 100,000 people, tens of thousands coming to Christ. The beauty of Billy Graham, though, was this. He never left the simple message. In all of those years, all those 40 years of 50, 60 years of crusades, it was the same song at every altar call. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. 
O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, and relief. Because thy promise, I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. The kingdom of God is where we let go. We, for Jesus' sake, we let go of our righteousness. And he gives us the righteousness, the right standing of the kingdom of God. He puts the best robe on us. He makes us righteous. The kingdom of God is when we give up our control. Jesus said, my, this is John 14, 27. Jesus said, my peace do I give you. I'm leaving you my peace, not the peace of the world. The world, the world is always trying to get peace through control. Have you noticed this? You don't have to look at the world. Look at yourself. We try to get peace by solving all the problems. And so we never have peace because there's always problems. Even if you solve your own problems, your kids have problems. If you solve those problems, the country has problems. There's always problems. Peace is very elusive when you're trying to control it. Jesus says, I've got peace for you that doesn't require control. Don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be fearful. I am giving you my peace. So to enter the kingdom, we, for Jesus, we lose our life. We lose our control so that we can have, we can trust the one who's in control, have his peace. And we even have how you get back in the water. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, here's what it says. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, make your requests known to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You get anxious, it's okay. Pray. And don't just pray begging. Pray with thanksgiving. This, God, you, you are good. You have heard me. You've heard me in the past. You're hearing me now. And release it to God in that place of prayer. And he'll put you right back in the river. You'll be right back in the river and his peace will guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God comes when we lose our own pursuit of happiness. Remember the Declaration of Independence? Remember, Declaration of Independence, not independence from God, it's independence from England. That we recognize that God has given certain inalienable rights. Among them, life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And God lets us pursue our happiness. But there's a secret. Psalm 37, 4 is the secret. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. When you pursue your own happiness and you're pursuing your own desires and what you want for your life, it's funny because what happens is you end up unhappy. 
you end up disillusioned. But if you will give up your own pursuit of happiness, give up your life, give up your own ability to make yourself happy, you will, in Jesus, find new joy, new life in Jesus. In 2008, 2009, I went through a horrible, horrible trial. We had been in Minnesota for 15 years and came back here and... uh, And three things happened to me all at the same time. First, I felt like I was being slandered in my character, but I couldn't defend myself because I just just got back here. I've been away for 15 years. There was no way to stand up and say, hey, I'm not like that because they didn't know what I was like. So that's happening. And and then I discovered something about the Our Father. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh, this isn't about my name. <laughs> this isn't about what people think about me and how I'm, and God has to make me look good in front of it. This is about my name, it's about his name. And then going through this, everybody knows in ministry, if you're a successful pastor, your church grows. Well, our church wasn't growing. Our church was declining. Every week, somebody was leaving to go over to the the new church. And my own kids asked me, Dad, can we go to the new church? That's exciting. This one's kind of boring. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are Are you kidding me? And then here's what I said. No. I couldn't tell anybody else they couldn't go, but to my own, are you kidding me? Anyway. And this is all happening in front of all of my peers, and all of a sudden, Tom, who's successful, isn't successful. His ministry is, by outward terms, a failure. But then I, then I realized, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then it says, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Oh, this isn't about my kingdom. This isn't about that I've got the biggest church or I got the best church. Hey, this one's shrinking, but something else is growing. Praise God. Kingdom's still good. This isn't about me. This is about my name. This is about my kingdom. And then the third thing that's happening at the very same time, here I am, we're in our mid-40s, and we are living in a one-bedroom apartment. My poor daughter, who was living with one that was still stuck living with us, she didn't want to bring friends over because she just felt bad about this is where we are. I did, I did own a house, but it was in the wrong city. <laughs> I, I owned a house, but owning that house was... It, our money was going down every month. It was, it was a drain. Owning, even though we were renting it out, we, we lost every, every month we owned that house. We were losing money. And so I wasn't, I wasn't prospering outwardly. But something amazing happened to me during that time. When you get everything of the world stripped from you, you find something out that Jesus is enough. You find out that there's one thing nobody could take from you. I am his and he is mine. 
And the world can't take away something they didn't give to you. The world didn't give me my identity. It didn't matter what people thought about me. It didn't matter what, that my ministry was, was failing in man's eyes. It, it, it didn't matter what I possessed or didn't possess because the world didn't give me my identity. I got that from heaven. And I was a beloved son. I was a beloved son. I was a favored son. And nothing in this world could take that away. And goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. And when I die, and at that time I'm like, and I hope it's soon, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (laughs) At the end of our pursuing our own happiness, when we get to the end of that, we find something called joy in his presence. Something much deeper than happiness. And so, guys, sometimes it's, it's hard for us to interpret our lives. I'm going to ask Nathan and Curtis to come, come on back up. It's hard to interpret what's going on in our life because, God, I thought you, you loved me, and, and I thought life would be easier and more comfortable, and, and, and there, it would be less rough, and, and God's like, I, I love you so much. I need you to come to the end of your own righteousness, your own control, your own pursuit of happiness. Because I've got life in the spirit. I've got got a righteousness, peace, and joy that transcend this world. I've got a river of God that I want to flow through you. Work with me. Work with me. And the process can be as painless as possible. And then even get to this place of enjoying this absolute dependence on God. All right, in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing just as I am. But I'd like, if for, for a moment, could we have every head bowed and every eye closed? <clears throat> Maybe you are here today and you haven't come to Jesus just as you are. Maybe you've been ashamed. Maybe you have been justifying yourself. Maybe you've said, like Luke, you know, religion is for the weak-minded. <laughs> that I'm a self-made person, and I don't, I don't, I don't need that. Trust me, you need this. Today, you're willing, you're willing to own your sin, own your independence, and mourn over it. <laughs> Life isn't working, and, and you actually want to own your sin. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And even that conviction of sin is him bidding you to come to him. You, we can't see our sin without him showing us. So you're here today and Jesus has shed his blood for you and he is actively bidding you to come to him. This is all about Jesus wanting you to come so that he can wash us and clean us, not just outwardly, but on the inside. And right now, you know Jesus is knocking and you want to open that door today and ask him to come in and be your savior and your Lord and to forgive your sins. 
I've got every head bowed because this is between you and God. I have people raise their hands because I like to pray a prayer that just helps give the words because somebody gave me those words to help me open my door. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? And we're going to pray that prayer. Jesus is knocking, and you want to open the door this morning. See that hand. God bless you. You can put that down. See that hand. You can put that down. Thank you. I I see that hand over here on the side. You can put that down. God bless you up in the balcony, way in the back of the balcony. God bless you. You can put that hand down. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're just getting right with God. Would everybody that raised their hand just put your hand over your heart now and pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming into this world and dying on the cross for me. Thank you, God. It is your intent. It is your plan that I give you my righteousness so that you can give me your righteousness. I give you my filthy rags. I give you my efforts. I give you all of, quote, my goodness. And say, Jesus, it could never be enough. Make me one of the rescued. Come and rescue me. With a mighty hand, rescue me. And make my identity in you, resting my whole identity in you. I receive now forgiveness of sins. Holy Spirit, would you bring that comfort? Would you bring that comfort that says, it's done. You're in. You're in because of Jesus' blood. Holy Spirit, that's your job. I, I can't comfort people on their hearts. Spirit of God, come and bring comfort. And I receive that gift of eternal life right now by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand together? Let's sing just as I am and we'll have one last prayer. Just as I am without one plea that thy blood was shed for me that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb. Of God I come, I come Just as I am and waiting not To rid my soul of one dark blood To Thee whose blood can
understand the favor that was on Billy Graham. I don't understand how God did it. It just, he poured out an anointing of favor and for whatever reason, doors just opened in front of him. But you know that when Elijah went home, Elisha asked for a double anointing of what was on Elijah. And I just believe as we honor Billy Graham, we honor the influence he had. I, I believe Billy Graham's with the Lord now, but the Lord still got work down here. What, what if God multiplied the favor that was on Billy Graham and put it on people just like us? Would you mind just opening your arms to the Lord as we, we, we close before the family meeting? Father, I, I thank you for this man of God that he didn't flip-flop. He wasn't in the river one day and out the next. He was consistent for years and years and years and years. And the favor on him just grew and grew. And he's, he, he's the, he was the pastor of the presidents. He could go to any nation in any circumstance and leadership for whatever reason would say, come on in, say whatever you want. We trust you. Father, thank you that you would give such favor to somebody, even in our generation. Now, Lord, we're in a, we're in a critical time in this country and in this world. We're, we're very divided and people close. I can't hear from you because you're not exactly like me. Lord, would you pour favor out on your people? Lord, give us a double anointing of what was on Billy Graham. Let the Holy Spirit multiply grace, multiply grace on us in our sphere, with our family and our work associates and our fellow students. Lord, multiply grace. Lord, in all the areas, politics and workplaces and, and wisdom for problems that are in our lives. Father, I especially pray today for that one that's here that has been so desperately pursuing their own happiness and finding themselves more and more and more unhappy and even at the point of taking their own life instead of taking your own life why don't you give your own life why don't you just go ahead and give it to Jesus let's just give him that pursuit of our own happiness even right now could we do that Lord we just give you we give you we know that in America we've got we've got freedom to pursue our own happiness Lord we're choosing to delight ourselves in you and let you take care of all the other stuff. You're the only one that brings joy. And Lord, thank you that you give us something that the world and life circumstances can't take from us. Would you whisper that to each of your favorite sons and daughters here? That they can rest their identity in you. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.